Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. So if you're in SaaS and you accept recurring revenue, probably the most important tool you need is a revenue management platform. It wasn't until we implemented Chargeify where we became a real SaaS company. Chargeify helps manage all of our subscribers. We're able to create different product categories, create add-on components, and charge clients for one-time services. They also provide deep revenue and churn metrics so you know exactly where your business stands at any point in time. One of my favorite features is the ability to customize your Dunning strategy sequence so you can recover as much revenue as possible. That alone will pay for the software and then some. Uh, Chargeify is so incredibly featureful. It can integrate with any payment processor with only a few clicks. Uh, I'm a numbers and finance guy and I can't imagine running a SaaS company without Chargeify. Uh, From a revenue collection and finance point of view, Chargeify literally does it all. If you want to step up your business and become a real SaaS company, look no further than Chargeify. Now, I'm able to provide an exclusive promo only to my listeners. I'm getting you the first month of Chargeify completely free, plus free premium onboarding. Uh, The thing is, this deal is only good if you sign up before the end of the year. You have to sign up before the end of 2019, and they have to know that I sent you. So go to Chargeify.com and sign up. That's Chargeify.com, and make sure you tell them you you want the founder views promo. You have to let them know in order to be eligible. Go to Chargeify.com to get started. You won't regret it. I was super excited about this episode. I'm speaking with Renat Zubarov, the co-founder and CEO of Elastic.io. Elastic is a B2B SaaS company that helps enterprises connect and process different applications. They were founded in 2013 and have been seeing triple digit revenue growth year after year, every single year, which is extremely difficult for a company of this size. Uh, They're currently doing well over 2 million in annual recurring revenue. Elastic was acquired in 2017 by Envise, a publicly traded company in Germany. Uh, They acquired a majority stake of Elastic, but they still operate independently. Uh, This was such an informative chat. Renat is a very high-level CEO. Uh, We deep dive into a lot of marketing, including some of the advantages and disadvantages of inbound versus outbound sales how Elastic is benefiting from content marketing, and what marketing channels are currently working the best for Elastic. Uh, Renat tells us why churn is the most important metric in SaaS and how Elastic maintains negative churn, which is something all SaaS folks should strive towards. So if you're in uh, the B2B SaaS space or just want to level up your way of thinking about business uh, as a CEO or founder, uh, this is definitely the episode for you. So enough of the intro. Here's my chat with Renat. All right, Renat, thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Views podcast. I was really excited to have you on. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much for inviting me. Amazing. So um, why don't you uh, kick things off? Just tell us a bit about uh, yourself, Elastic.io, uh, which you're the CEO of, uh, what you guys do and who your customers are. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Renat Zubarov. Uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO of Elastic.io. Um, Elastic.io is... Um, a young company, um, well, like kind of a startup grown-up company from Germany. 
so we're located in the beautiful Bonn, uh, next capital of Germany and the western part of Germany. And um, with Elastic.io, we are developing an integration platform as a service product. So software service product for B2B integration, uh, which is uh, helping uh, our customers as well as customers of our customers. So uh, partners, uh, customers of our partners, integrating different applications, uh, different cloud applications, different on-premise applications, legacy and, and other uh, applications with each other. And um, the IPaaS uh, integration platform as a service or IPaaS is really a very, very active market uh, with a significant growth over the last number of years already. Uh, uh, and mainly driven by the explosive growth of software service applications and also generally business applications uh, we, we see every day. Okay, so that, that's that's interesting. Um, can you can you give me like a real life, like a simple case of how a customer of yours would use Elastic? Oh, we we see um, a number of a number of um, a variety of, of integration use cases uh, with with which um, where our product is useful um, in many different verticals. So one of the uh, vertical we see frequently is, uh, for example, e-commerce vertical, <coughs> where the integration between an storefront, uh, let's say a Magento uh, shop, uh, needs to be done into the backend systems of a company. Uh, for example, integration of e-commerce storefront into the ERP system of a company uh, for order fulfillment. Uh, another very frequent uh, use case which we see is uh, an integration of uh, financial information and uh, data warehouse information. So collecting data from a variety of different systems. For example, um, one, of the, one of the projects, um, one of our customers recently was uh, an investment a company which needs to collect a lot of data uh, about the stock market uh, and variety of different uh, stock markets in the world. And accumulated into the single data warehouse system, where everything needs to be uh, uh, later analyzed and visualized. So this is also a significant integration challenge. And of course, many different, many different smaller use cases with a wide variety of systems. So we have uh, over 100 predefined integration connectors uh, developed on our own, and also even more available in our ecosystem to connect. The different systems like uh, developer-oriented systems, I know, things, GitHub, Jira, of the world, as well as many other applications which are useful for our customers and partners. Okay, got you. So pretty much endless uh, use cases available by the sounds of it. Uh, how, like, w- would you compare this? Obviously, it seems to be on, on a much um, much more enterprise scale, but is it comparable to like a Zapier? For example, in yes. some way, yes, exactly. Yes. Okay, exactly. Gotcha. So the Zapier is—it's uh, actually a very interesting story. When we started, uh, um, it was like maybe maybe a few months, maybe six months before Zapier started. So the guys, and uh, I think Zapier is uh, one of the very an excellent example of how it can be done uh, for a broader audience, right? So the, obviously, the uh, number of people who know Zapier and who use Zapier is very very significant. Where before that year, there was the guys like use this and that, 
which have a slightly different business model uh, and also challenging, <laughs> let's say, uh, uh, what I what I could see uh, from the uh, from the industry maybe in a more challenging position right now compared to Zapier, but uh, the topic of automation and integration is really like uh, <laughs> exists in the beginning of computing, right? So um, yeah. I find it's very useful to to speak in this kind of standardized terms about the data integration, application integration. So um, before starting Elastic.io, I was working for a company called uh, Talent. Uh, which is a pretty significant uh, vendor for data integration initially, which expanded into different areas. And uh, over the time, over my, my working experience, working life, I witnessed the transformation from, let's say, message-oriented middleware to the enterprise service bus and service-oriented architecture into more IPaaS uh, enterprise integration, as well as Zapier-like so-called application uh, uh, ASAS, so application software, or I'm sorry, Zapier uh, uh, is uh, not an enterprise integration platform, but an, uh, kind of end user integration platform like Zapier, which is more as a user friendly uh, variation of it. Yeah, understood. Got it. Okay, perfect. Um, thanks for for painting that picture. So you mentioned uh, Elastic now, sort of startup slash grown up. How old is the company? Um, we founded uh, Elastic IO uh, in 2013. Uh, so basically, we have um, initially had uh, um, three founders, uh, and uh, since 2013, we were actually we are operating as a, as a company. Okay, got you. And from what I understand, um, a company bought Elastic or a stake in Elastic. Is that correct? This is correct. Yes. In um, May 2017, uh, one of uh, publicly traded uh, companies, publicly uh, traded in the German trade market companies called Mbytes AG, uh, acquired a majority stake of Elastic. So this was uh, more or less, uh, I think, in, if, if speaking in, in this um, venture terms, uh, were uh, an exit event or liquidity event for investors. Uh, and MBSIG acquired 75.1% uh, of all stock. Uh, and since that moment, we are also part of a publicly traded uh, company on the German stock market. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, I want to dive into that a, a, a bit. But uh, before that, yeah, like, sure. what made you launch Elastic? Like, were you solving your own problem? Or like, how did the idea come about? Um, the idea of Elastic IO, um, as I said, it's not something new, right? So there were like, I know at least like 25 to 30 different products which were existing before Elastic IO and solving the same problem. And uh, I know over uh, 80 uh, integration platforms as a service which started after Elastic IO. <laughs> so, so the integration problem is not something new. Uh, however, what is new and what was a trigger event uh, for us uh, founding a new company was uh, a role of the cloud and software service um, in the industry, which was uh, really transformative and disrupting existing industries. Um, just, to, just to give you an example, <coughs> there are different statistics on the number of applications we use every day, right? Uh, um, starting from 
apps on on, on our mobile devices. Uh, I think I, I have on, on my personal iPhone. I have maybe like five pages of apps on, on the home screen. Uh, so most of the time, I'm not really like <laughs> scrolling through the pages, but just typing the name of the application to find it. Um, but the similar situation is, is also in the business world, right? Where in the business, we are using more and more software service applications. And uh, this was due to the fact that obviously software service and cloud gives a new distribution channel for business software, but also the number of applications increase astronomically. Uh, and this became obvious for us when uh, we were working in this industry before. So as I said, I was working for a company called Talent, which is like a traditional uh, an integration vendor. Uh, and um, uh, my co-founder uh, was working for uh, a large, uh, very prominent bank where they were only doing like full-time integration projects, integrating a variety of different financial data sources. Um, and uh, there we saw this cloud and software service as their opportunity, a transformative moment in the whole industry to start something new. Because obviously, um, not only software, which got distributed in a different way with the cloud and software service business models, um, but also the integration software needs to be changed and distributed in the same way uh, as, a, as a software. So literally speaking, or very simplistically, if I'm a buying, if I'm a sell source customer, with a high probability, I will not have a server in my basement where I would install an integration software to integrate Salesforce into my other applications. And uh, this was the trigger for us to say, well, this is different. This is exactly the new opportunity we want to jump in and what we did with Elastica. Amazing. That's awesome. Um, and uh, so what, who's the, what, what's the makeup of your customer generally? So is it in enterprise? Do you have any small businesses as well? Or? Yes. Um, currently, we are serving, we are very much, very much focused into B2B. Uh, so with our pricing, we end sales support and the product we are targeting mid-market. Uh, so we are not let's say, targeting uh, customers which with, um, let's say, um, um, monthly or let's say annually recurring revenue of 1,000 or below. Uh, so if, I don't know if you, um, if you saw this uh, excellent blog post from, uh, from Point Nine, one of the Point Nine um, VC guys, um, Christoph Jans, uh, who was plotting the number of deers and mice and elephants we need to get together 100 million revenue. So we're not really hunting mice and, and small customers. We are more in the middle segment um, and looking for our customers, which are the company, the business customers, uh, with uh, annual recurring revenue somewhere above, uh, let's say, 20K uh, and, uh, and higher. Understood. That's perfect. Awesome. Um, now, sort of like, how did you get Elastic off the ground from a financial point of view? Like, you know, prior to the acquisition, like, were you guys bootstrapped? Did you have any uh, funding prior to that? Or, um, yes. Um, basically, once we started, um, we, I know, and then uh, here in Germany, it's not uh, something 
especially like in 2013, which is like over six years ago, the startup ecosystem was not developed very well. It's developed much better now, but still significantly behind the U.S. or, or Chinese startup ecosystems. And at the time, but uh, but but in Germany uh, and mostly the European countries, we have this uh, social security safety net, right? So um, the first year, once we started Elastic.io, we were uh, bootstrapping. So we, um, we all have families, uh, but we were bootstrapping from our, uh, say, friends, fools, and, uh, uh, and family um, uh, investments, as well as the social uh, support from the state. Um, and then in the end of 2013, we basically more or less after one year of bootstrapping, uh, we got the first uh, and the last for Elastic.io investor in, in Elastic.io. Um, uh, who invested uh, more as a venture uh, kind of a business angel money in the last awesome I like that friends and fools <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I uh, quick question like I understand in Europe uh, as you mentioned uh, you know you have that social security safety net and you did get have support from uh from the social support from the state, as you mentioned, from the state, yeah. Um, yeah, was uh, like was that significant support? Is that easy to get support like that from the state, or or how does that work? Um, actually, it may sound strange, right? <laughs> but uh, um, in in Germany, um, every employer uh, is contributing some uh, part of his um, let's say income. Uh, to some social security uh, insurance. And uh, this gives, uh, after the years of contribution, this gives uh, more or less a safety net, which is um, have a cap on money-wise. But roughly, it's 60% of the income a person used to have before, let's say, well, while he or she was employed. And... Uh, this um, it has some different characteristics in Germany. There are some kind of safety net, as we like, if someone would lose the job, uh, so that he he would not live on the street, right? The, the, the state will jump in and and pay more than sixty percent of the salary um, or a salary, also with a cap. I think the cap at the time was around about two thousand six hundred euro. Uh, but uh, at the same time, there is uh, some, um, the English term for it would be some economic development initiatives, which is roughly the same money, but then at the same, at the same time, it's not an unemployment money. It's more like, uh, let's say, uh, it's called in Germany, it's called the Grundatsuschus, which is like support for founding for founders, right? So kind of a government-based founder support which is the same money as an unemployment money, more or less. Got you. Okay. Um, now, so, so if I'm a startup in, in Germany, let's just say, um, is it easy to tap into that money? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, although, it's, uh, let's say it's so. <laughs> um, Legally, it's, it's actually the same as an employment money, and unemployment money is, is there for everyone, right? For every person, uh, without the reason why it's going to be employed for at least one year, although, again, it was six years ago, I'm not sure about the situation now, but at the time it was very easy. I assume it is the same, it's not complicated now. However, in Germany, <coughs> uh, Germany, generally speaking, is very high-averse um, society, right? 
Um, and I'm, uh, I, I, I could tell this because I'm not originally German, so I'm originally from Russia. Uh, so, but in Germany, it's still not, not very complicated legally, but I think for many people, it's complicated mentally to start something new, to jump over the cliff, you know? Because for me, I think the best analogy I know, <laughs> which I always mention about founding a startup, is like jumping off the cliff and trying to build a, an airplane while you're, <laughs> you're falling down. And if you manage to do it, then your plane will fly and you will not crash, right? And if not, then you will crash. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the notion of crash yeah, is not that crash, I'm homeless now. In Germany, crash means I'm only getting 60% of my salary. <laughs> <In> sense, <laughs> not no. bad, not so bad just, at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, all right, perfect. So um, switching gears a little bit. So, you know, a lot of early stage founders that, that I speak to, especially recently, uh, and those are also many of the listeners to this podcast, um, how did you, or a lot of these people, I should say, uh, have tr uh, struggled like getting that traction early on and getting those early sales. Uh, so how did you, in Elastic's case, capture those early customers? Like what were some of your, your go-to sales channels early on? Um, in the beginning, it was mostly, again, um, business networks, right? Business networking, as well as some startup events. Uh, we got initially a, a number of startup awards, as well as um, we participated in some programs here in Germany, uh, which brought us to some exhibitions. Um, for example, uh, one of our biggest uh, customers in Germany, we actually got to know I think in the first year of founding Elastigail, uh, in uh, during a large computer exhibition in Hanover, in Germany. So it's uh, um, a lot of initial traction was was done through this. A lot of initial customers uh, through network and then events, so offline. Um, and later, later on, let's say after a year, uh, maybe um, maybe year and a half the content uh, marketing or, or let's say inbound channels through the website started to kick in and brought a significant traction positive. Okay, yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, so were you doing content like very early on and then it just took a while to, to start seeing some return on that or? Correct, correct, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so the content uh, was very interesting and very, very important for us in the from the beginning. Uh, it was some... Um, new experience for us you know um we we do we did have a blogs before like personal blogs right and and and, and my co-founder uh, he actually wrote two books <laughs> on, on software engineering right one in english one in german uh so writing is not something new but it was uh, interesting to see uh, what effect does the content had on 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 lead generation and uh it was uh, a right, I would say it was a right investment uh, at the time and continues to be right investment now. Uh, even now we have a significant content inbound lead channel through content uh, where, we where we continuously invest and see the results of it. 
That's great. That's awesome. Did you do any of the content writing yourself or it seems like your co-founder is more the the writer? Oh, like everyone. I mean, initially, you know, <laughs> in the first days we do everything on our own, right? So everyone was doing some, and it was interesting sometimes even completely unrelated uh, content uh, brought us a lot of um, inbound uh, clicks or, or visitors. Yeah. Uh, for example, <clears throat> in the early days of development of Elastic.io, we had uh, written a little, a little article about a particular functionality of Amazon Web Services uh, in, ter- in the area of content delivery. And uh, it was very, very, say, small functionality uh, with a little hint in it. But at the time, and I think even two years after, <laughs> we were... Uh, when 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 one when, when one would search for this particular technology of Amazon and Google, uh, we were on, on the place number two or, or three on the Google results, which gives us a lot of traffic, which may not be very relevant for <laughs> for what we actually do with integration, but more relevant maybe for people who are developing cloud applications. Nevertheless, uh, brought us uh, initial or basically for, for I think year or maybe year and a half were bringing us a lot of visitors um, which could or maybe not be from our focus group that's, that's why we actually later on decided to take it down because uh, it was bringing too much noise in the numbers but uh, it was a nice experience that's interesting and um, sorry to dive in into content a bit more because I know mm-hmm. this is a popular subject like how many like content or pieces of um content you guys put out like in a week or a month, for example? Um, oh, currently we are uh, focusing more on the high quality content, the less on, let's say, uh, a numbers, number of content pieces per, per week or per month. Right. Um, and, uh, what we also do, we, um, measure it re- rigorously. Uh, how we bring in the content and what the output of the content is. Uh, and um, currently, um, what we do is more, um, let's say, high-value content, um, like uh, an ebook which we did recently. And uh, the ebook was written by one of our colleagues, um, who is a senior integration engineer and worked in his professional services area many different projects, integration projects. Uh, and the content, right? what we do right now is less about, let's say, Elastic.io as a product, which will initially was a big mistake, or, or actually, I think, a mistake which many people do initially. When we had a blog, which was not really a blog which is useful for everyone, but more be only useful for us as the memories of what we did uh, in our product like five months before, maybe two years before, right? So uh, our content is more focused on the generating the value for people which are in our core uh, uh, for our customers at the end of the day. And uh, the ebook, for example, which we did goes very deep into some integration patterns topic into some basic integration principles um, and gives a very good overview for, for uh, users who are starting with integration topics or 
um, the customers who do know how integration platform works in general and explain them these concepts very, very, uh, very, very good. Okay, I love it. That's awesome. So rather than having the whole uh, spray and pray approach to content, you guys are really uh, being very deliberate and, and focused on quality pieces to drive the right Correct. customers. Got it. Correct. And this was based on the experience that I mentioned before. We, we once wrote a very, very deep, one, one very, very detailed article, which was valued by, by Google very, very high because of the high number of references or maybe, I don't know, maybe some algorithms of Google rated very, very high, which generated a lot of traffic for us. So obviously investing into the number of content pieces is important, but also thinking like what would be the value of it? Not only because we need to dump this number of thousands of characters on the web every day, but more into what the value the customers would generate from it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, okay, that's perfect. Um, so you know, if excelling to enterprise um, or like bigger businesses is definitely a lot different than selling to, you know, individual customers or small businesses, like the approach in selling, like everything is, is, is different. Um, so in your case, what have you found to be the best growth channels for acquiring new customers today? Like, is it still the content? Is that still like your primary focus or do you guys do, you guys do any outbound sales or do you have a, a sales team? Yes, um, we do have sales team uh, and uh, let's say sales and marketing team um, as a, as kind of a bigger uh, sales marketing organization. Uh, and um, we have uh, generally two channels uh, or one inbound and one outbound, inbound and outbound channel uh, where we do lead generation. Um, we do <coughs> on the inbound channel, as I mentioned, already content as well as a little bit of social media, a uh, little bit of, of public relationships. Uh, so also, which is essentially also content, right? It's more like play, content placement in this time. Then we have, uh, an outbound sales uh, a person uh, who is um, doing outbound sales uh, and through the phone. Uh, and, the, and then we have obviously the last but not least piece is events which we are participating um, where a big numbers of almost uh, basically the, the sales marketing participating in, in event preparation, uh, in event organization, uh, as well as speaking opportunities for, for, for events, which is also part of our outbound uh, communication strategy. And uh, this gives us a, a bright, um, let's say, a bright variety of channels um, with uh, advantages and disadvantages, right? Obviously, the, the disadvantage of, of um, uh, let's say, an advantage of, of an inbound channel is that it's it requires it requires uh, some ongoing investment in content, but once it starts running, it is running well. Uh, the disadvantage of of content and inbound channel is obviously the uh, time it takes to to wrap up, right? Uh, so to to do this initial investment, as well as uh, um, harder harder. Uh, focus or, or not, not, um, how do you say? Um, basically the, the inbound channel is, uh, not very much focused on particular region or particular problem statement. And this focus is very complicated to get where in outbound channel, we could select an industry and start getting into this industry through the outbound channel. 
but by combining these multiple channels, we see the biggest um, uh, biggest out- outcome and biggest uh, possible uh, output out of the lead generation. That's great. That's great. I, I want to unpack that or try to unpack that a little bit. So the one channel, the first channel you mentioned inbound, uh, obviously you do the content. Do you run any uh, like paid social ads as well? Uh, no, currently we don't do this. Okay. So it's, it's strictly just content generation and just like cleaning up the inbounds that come in from that. Okay. Awesome. Can you share like how many like leads you capture in a month through content? Um, unfortunately I couldn't share all the information we have, okay. um, due to this legal reason, right? So as part of a publicly traded company, we have some a number of, uh, let's say numbers we could potentially share and, uh, the other numbers, which could potentially be a derivative of these or preliminary or leading indicators of other numbers. I could not unfortunately share, but, uh, what I can say, uh, we are very confident and, uh, um, right now basically uh, quite satisfied with the way our inbound channel works. Um, we see it based on the industry numbers, what, which we could get, uh, as well as, uh, based on the, let's say customer acquisition costs or lead acquisition costs through this channel. It gives us, uh, quite competitive, competitive, uh, uh value, uh, payer lead, which we generated through inbound channel. Uh, therefore we are, um, we are pretty, pretty confident and, and happy about this one. Okay. Um, that's awesome. Um, in regards to, uh, outbound, uh, you, you mentioned you do outbound phone sales. Uh, a question I get a lot is, you know, especially with selling to, to businesses where there could be like multiple gatekeepers, for example, do you have any tips for, for someone wanting to do outbound sales, but you know, uh, having a difficult time finding the right person to actually get on the phone with? Yeah. Yeah. um, the outbound sales, Generally, what we also see in the last, let's say, couple of years, right? Thinking like maybe five years back, it's becoming more challenging. Definitely. Uh, people are, and there are different strategies, right? There are different approaches. Many books written about it. I don't know, one, one book which comes to my mind is this predictable revenue. I think, I, I think if, uh, if your listeners haven't read them, this book, one should one should definitely do this. Yeah, but after reading one. this book, right? Yeah, but after reading this book, one should not do what's written in the book, <laughs> because unfortunately, all this all the kind of tips and tricks, especially in the generation area, they stop working at the time they would be publicly announced. Right? Uh, I, I strongly believe it's it's essential to understand the mechanics behind that and the reasoning behind that. But it's just completely useless to repeat the same tricks. <laughs> um, we, we were working with a number of different uh, strategies and different approaches, especially on outbound, through cold email, cold phone calls, and so on and so on. And I think the main takeaway, my personal takeaway from there, it's uh, it, it one, one should have a very, very, um, be very, very persistent, right? Statistically, statistically, a person would reply, a person you don't know would react on the email most of the time after the email number seven. So we need to send six emails before, before even get in reply, right? 
and uh, one has to be very very persistent in this area to really make make it work i agree i agree persistence is definitely key um but if since you're still like doing outbound you're obviously still getting some results and getting uh an roi off of it right this is correct uh, this is correct although again there's the noise in the industry the number of spam emails i am getting every day or the number of emails generally i'm getting every day uh, leads to the significant decrease of efficiency as the channel right uh, I just recently listened to some, some other podcast, <laughs> and one of the sponsors of the podcast was a, uh, a company which is very similar to Twilio, like SMS distribution company. And, and their main value proposition was the open rate of SMS within the first five minutes is 90%, right? <laughs> which yeah. no email could ever reach, right? It is the overload of email mailbox. So, the outbound channels are, are very, very challenging and becoming more and more challenging with the time, uh, uh, which, is, which needs to be very, very carefully analyzed and also very, very carefully managed. I agree. Uh, definitely more difficult uh, compared to, you know, eight, 10 years ago. But uh, I think, still think there's something there. I mean, I think it just requires a lot more um, thoughtfulness and, and strategic thinking and communication becomes very important. So, correct, um, correct, correct. yeah, rather than just sort of like, again, a spring, uh, like a random email that you quickly slap together, uh, it's not what it takes to do outbound anymore, unfortunately. So, exactly. yes, um, correct. and also statistics, right? I mean, I think one needs to be very much aware about uh, uh, basics of, of mathematical statistics, right? There are some for example, A-B testing, right? Uh, one needs to be very, very much aware, and this is one of the mistakes we did in the past. <laughs> we, we made a decision, or we, 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 we did a conclusion based on the non-representative number of trials, right? So one could potentially decide if it's like A or B is left or right based on the high number of trials <laughs> which gives us a representative statistics. And if we don't have representative statistics, we need to, we, we need to be aware that this decision will be like, like, like no, no, not better than, than rolling a coin, right? So it's completely irrelevant from, from the decision perspective. Yeah, very true. Um, so being in SaaS, you know, tracking metrics, obviously extremely important. As you know, uh, I spoke to another guest a while back and, and he said something which I really liked. You know, if you were stuck on an island, uh, what are the three metrics you would need to have to see if your company is performing well or not? Like what, for you, what would you say those, those three metrics are? I think the, the most important metric is, uh, is uh, customer churn or oh, churn in general. I would not say... I would not say logo churn, revenue churn, churn in general is the, the, the most important metric because it's, especially for subscription business, the churn is the number one indicator of everything else, right? Based on the churn and the revenue numbers, one can come up to the pricing because pricing is a factor of customer acquisition costs, is a factor of churn is and, and the factor of churn in terms of the day. Uh, 
Um, so the number one KPI for me would be the churn, which is the best indicator, in my opinion, of the product and uh, what the product, if the product delivers the value or not. The second indicator uh, would be the, I would say, yeah, the second indicator would be the, the revenue, so recurrent revenue, annual or monthly recurrent revenue, right? So this is, I think, uh, one of the best uh, indicators to really signal about are we, whom we're talking to, are we talking to the right people or not, right? Because if we're talking to uh, an enterprise people, and the combination of churn means lifetime value and the revenue does not fit, then it makes no sense. So we're in the dead zone for the startups. Um, and uh, therefore, it should be find a good balance. And these two characteristics, the churn and the revenue uh, numbers, would give us everything else. And um, then, of course, I think the third metric would be the growth. Right, so it's um, it's a monthly or a quarterly or yearly growth. Um, obviously, being a part of a uh, uh, publicly traded company, we are um, we are we ticking. We 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 think in 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 quarters and, and half years and years. But I think the third KPI would be the uh, the growth number, so the the, the growth we are producing. Awesome. Love it. I'd imagine in your business, like just given the nature of your business and the type of customers you service in your product, like your churn, I'd imagine is, is pretty low. Is that accurate? This is very correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and uh, we, we even, we, we, we strive to reach a negative uh, revenue chart. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Did do you share like how, how, how uh, your churn, do your customer churn at all? Are you able to share that? Um, we do not share this, but okay. it's, it's uh, low. So basically, again, I think there are some some industry average of benchmarks, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, in SME, SMB segments, are like the churn could be like two digits monthly, <laughs> right? Which means like after a year, like half of your yeah. half your customers are gone. Terrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we are in enterprise segment, so we are low, low. Awesome. That's great. Um, so how do you, how do you monitor to ensure like you and your team are, are continuously improving these metrics that are important to you? Like, do you hold, you know, weekly, monthly meetings? Like how do you hold everyone accountable? Um, we have basically, um, right now in Elastica, we are around about like 30 plus, so 40, 40 plus people. And, uh, we have different, uh, we have three managing directors and um, there are some uh, weekly uh, sales marketing uh, meetings as well as monthly reporting with all the important KPIs which is sent around to all to the total to everyone in the company, including the shareholders. We do have um, also um, most of the time it's either monthly or bi-monthly uh, shareholder meetings with our shareholders where we also present these KPIs and, and the report. Um, and these numbers are very much, I mean, everyone, everyone has its numbers in the mailbox, the latest in the, in the tens of the months. So in the tens of the months, we know exactly where we are from term perspective, from revenue perspective, from growth perspective. We also track the conversion numbers, obviously, <coughs> number of uh, inbound leads through the different channels. The conversions of the uh, 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 leads we want through outbound channels, 
as well as the conversion numbers to the customers. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, and so, so today you said uh, your team is uh, 40 plus people. Are they all based Correct. in Germany or do you guys have a, a remote team as well? Yes, we, we do have a remote uh, office location. So we have uh, one, uh, one guy is uh, located in the UK. Um, when we have um, around about 26, 27 people located in uh, Kiev, in Ukraine, uh, we are in these uh, offices. Um, and we also, as Elasticgirl, but uh, as a uh, bigger um, company, as an as a MBIS AG, we are um, around about 200 people. Also, I'm not old man for this number, I'm, uh, but I'm just, this is my last information, or maybe, maybe not. It should not be completely wrong, but we are around about 200 people. Um, and we are distributed also in Germany into different locations like uh, Munich, Düsseldorf, uh, Hamburg, and Frankfurt. Okay, very good. And you're, uh, you yourself are in Germany? Yes, yes. Um, I myself is in Germany, in Bonn. Okay, awesome. Um, now, I, I know, uh, you know, you, you don't share a lot of this number, you can't, but uh, are, in terms of like user count or MRR, like are, are you like seven figures plus in, in annual recurring revenue quite easily, I'd say? Uh, correct. Yes. Uh, basically, we, as again, as we are, as we are a public company, uh, right? Uh, everyone uh, could practically like see our numbers. Uh, yeah. They are public pu published in the in the uh, in the shareholder reports, right? So, for example, last uh, year, as a total, as a as a let's say as a holding company, we did uh, um, uh, around about twenty twenty two and a half million revenue in total. Where Elastic.io made uh, one two point one million revenue um, last year, and uh, we grow round about like we grew around about hundred percent from two thousand seventeen to two thousand eighteen. Wow, that's awesome! That's great. Are you are you on track to sort of repeat that for two thousand nineteen? Oh, it will be tough, yeah. <laughs> 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 but we, we're doing our best. Yeah, it's actually. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible journey. Obviously, like doubling the revenue every year, it's challenging, and it's more and more challenging the bigger the number is. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say the triple digit growth uh, percentage growth is super hard, especially as you you grow more and more, you become yeah. more mature. So that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. They're able to do that. Um, and also comparing to to other companies which are like from US, for example, which are venture funded. Uh, I think we, we showed a positive at the DA uh, last year. I think out of 2.1 or 2.3, I think was the total number. Uh, revenue, Elastic Year did, we also did uh, a significant six digit uh, ABDA. Uh, say. It's not profit, right? but it's profit or, or earning before uh, taxes. Yeah, got you. No, that's great. That's awesome. All right. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, you know, as a CEO of a, a very fast growing company, obviously, like what does a, a typical day like day look like for you? And, you know, don't worry. I know this is a very difficult question to answer it is for <laughs> me as well, but um, typically what does a day look like for you? Um, it's uh, very different, right? <laughs> uh, depending on, on the, on, on the customer situation, depending on the other, on the time of the year, right? For example, in summer where it was like not, not, not much is happening in, on the sales and marketing front because 
most of the people are on vacations and most of the buyers are on vacation. Uh, there is some, some different schedule, right? But uh, typically, uh, it's uh, it's usual stuff speaking to people, right? So uh, uh, I'm uh, in my area of responsibility is uh, sales marketing and uh, sales marketing and customer success currently, and uh, basically. Uh, my day is mostly about uh, collecting, talking to people, checking the side, understanding the situation, uh, trying to help where I could in, in these particular areas, as well as coordination of uh, of uh, other other areas and cross let's say cross area efforts. Right. So sometimes we need some <coughs> customer requests from customer success, which affects the product and the professional services area, which needs to be coordinated. As well as uh, sometimes, oh, sometimes, but actually, <laughs> a bigger part of what I do is also the uh, uh, sales and uh, sales and customer uh, relationships for our key customers. So this uh, still requires a lot of my attention. Uh, where where sometimes it's obviously also already done by the sales team most of it. Okay, very good. I know that's an almost impossible question to answer, even for myself. Because like every every day is just very different. You're wearing multiple hats, and then you know going into different areas. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear though. You mentioned in 2017, uh, you know, you got a a public company, acquired a majority stake in Elastic. Like, how have your responsibilities changed after that acquisition? Like, did you notice a big change in sort of like not only your responsibilities, but like the culture in the company or how would you describe that? Um, I basically after the acquisition, I wouldn't say that much have changed actually. Um, because the company which acquired us was not like, you know, it was not like a huge, uh, uh, a huge multinational uh, company with many thousands of employees where we would be a, a little department inside it. This uh, highly hierarchical structure. We actually, the, the company which acquired us was um, also pretty much a startup story, actually. They, they, they um, um, in 2000, they acquired us 2017, 2014. Uh, it was a public company still, and which became public in 2010 at the, at the verge of the boom of internet companies also in Germany here. But the stock price in 2014 was 15 cents, or 0.15. And at the time that they acquired us, it was around about like 5 euro or 4 euro, if I'm not wrong. Um, and they grew from 4 people in 2014 to 140 people in 2017. So it was culturally very similar to what we actually do and what we actually targeted to. And because of this, we as the managing directors of, of Elastic IO, we, we got a very inter entrepreneurial spirit on the other side of the table, right? On the shareholder table. And, uh, the cultural change was not significant, I would say, uh, because we continue to operate as an independent company. Right. And gotcha. uh, okay. the shareholder change was not bringing some typical drawbacks, which we see in the press, you know, oh, my, the company got acquired and, and, and then basically the founders are maybe a, a head of some department or I know VP or something. <laughs> 
and uh, literally doing something else uh, as they started the company. So we continue to operate as an independent entity with a lot of understanding from the shareholders. And the shareholders are more and more involved and, and, and understand best how we work and what we do. And they acquired us because of the product expertise, because the company that acquired us was mostly working in consulting, right? Uh, but they wanted strategically to move into the product area due to the definitely higher margins there. And we brought this expertise into the company, into the culture of, of parent company with us. Got it. Okay. Very good. That's great. Very good. Um, sticking on like, you know, your day to day, just again, out of curiosity, do you have any favorite tools or apps that help make your day more productive? Um, yes. Um, obviously the calendar is, is my favorite tool. <laughs> so, um, Mine so too. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> and Calendly is by the way, also very good. <laughs> yeah. I use that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. We also pay them. Uh, so it's actually the calendar is a, is a key and focal point of everything I do. So, um, many times it happens, but basically sometimes people are coming and say, look guys, what's not in my calendar does not exist for me. Uh, which is true for family too, <laughs> which is sometimes challenging, right? Um, as, uh, I have like wife and three kids, uh, but my two kids are already old enough to have their own calendar, so we can synchronize their calendar with my calendar. And my wife is also synchronizing her calendar with my calendar, so it's, I think, in my Mac calendar app, I have maybe, I know, 10 personal calendars to synchronize and another 25 employer calendars to synchronize. This is their primary tool, right? And the second tool, which actually was, I started personally using maybe like recently, maybe like six months ago, uh, is a Dropbox paper. I don't know if you used it. Uh, no, I, I don't use that, but I know a few people that do. Do you yeah, like it? Uh, oh, very much. Yeah. Uh, and the most important thing is the meeting minutes for me. So okay. every, do you use it? Do you um, use it as like an, an an internal wiki, or do you use it just for yourself personally? Uh, as an internal meeting minister, yeah. Okay. Some 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 of my colleagues hate me for this. <laughs> They're like, no, not not another tool, right? But uh, I find it always very very useful. Anything we discuss, we write down at meeting minutes because there's so much going on, right? Uh, and, and, and I find that the value of meeting minutes, uh, which you read, for example, like we had just sort of discussed recently, uh, about the event which happened like two weeks ago. And I honestly could not remember a lot of details from this event two, 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 two weeks ago, which is pretty bad, maybe a beginning of, of, of sclerosis, but meeting minutes help immensely. Everything we discuss, we write down in the paper and it's very easy to do because uh, the Dropbox paper is synchronized with my calendar. So as soon as the event is in calendar, the meeting is automatically distributed to all people who were invited on this event and accessible for them immediately. And uh, this saves me maybe like three minutes of hunting emails, which is an immense, already immense value. 
Yeah, no, that's great. I, I totally agree. Like documenting, note taking, extremely, extremely important for sure. So that's great. Um, so what's next for Elastic? Like, where do you want to see the company in the next like three to five years? Oh, we see <clears throat> the market we are in is uh, is growing immensely. It's, it's actually when we started, I think one of the analysts, sorry, like Gartner's, right? So the Gartner like counted maybe. 25, 30 integration platform as a service, right? And they didn't do even the differentiation between iPath and iSaaS, so integration software as a service like Zapier and integration platform as a service like, like us, MuleSoft and SnapLogic, right? Uh, now, I think that alone the enterprise iPaths, there are like 90-something, close to 100, right? <laughs> including companies like Oracle, Microsoft. I think Google even maybe starting something else, something something in this area soon. So the future of Elastic is specialization. So we see uh, some particular segments in the integration story, which we, which we can do best and which can benefit from the ecosystem approach we are working with. And uh, we want to, to become uh, uh, on this market and we want to become a market leader on this market for this particular uh, area. As the market is now over a billion dollar large, this gives us a significant stake or, or significant opportunity even for this particular niche. Amazing. Uh, I have no doubt you'll get there. That's for sure. Um, yeah. uh, Renat, I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, I know your, your calendar is probably jam-packed on a Monday, <laughs> but um, I do like to end off each chat with what I call the top three. You ready? Uh, All right. Number one, your favorite business book. Um, There's so many. Probably Lean Startup. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's a good one. Uh, Number two, your favorite vacation spot. My favorite vacation spot, uh, Tel Aviv. Television. Okay, perfect. Yeah, um, never been. Yeah, I'd love to uh, visit for sure. Um, lastly, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you were just starting out in business? Um, it would be an understanding and realization that it always takes longer than you expect. <laughs> Doesn't That's matter true. what you do. I like that. You know, I say this all the time that there's too many people now who like to, or who want to get to the finish line without running the race. You know, there's, there's no, there's no substitute for, for just being patient, hard work, grind, hustle, and you know, you'll, you'll get there. Uh, and in businesses, uh, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I think there was a nice quote from, from someone that, uh, endless nights and, 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 and tears and blood would make it look like overnight success after. Right? Yeah, exactly. For sure. Well, uh, Renat, thank you so much. I'm so glad we were finally able to connect. Um, I really had a great time and uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for your questions. It was really a pleasure speaking to you. Amazing. Thanks so much. Hi, and have a, have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.